You are listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. It seems in almost every class, at some point, the facilitator utters those words, communication is the key. The words are absolutely true, if overused. We all know, however, that communication must be effective to make a difference. So what is the key to effective communication? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. This month, we've invited court administrators from around the country to chat about communication, how to make it useful, how to prevent it from wasting time. And in this episode, we're going to explore How effective has communication been during the pandemic? Are there different approaches to effectively communicating with employees, with other justice stakeholders, and with the general public? How can you obtain employee feedback in the age of Zoom meetings? And what can we learn from our panel of court administrators? So let's join my co-host and our panel. My co-host today is Alice Roberts with the Alaska Court System. We're joined today by Zanelle Brown, Executive Court Administrator for the Third Circuit Court in Detroit, Michigan. Rick Pierce, Judicial Programs Administrator for the Pennsylvania Administrative Office of the Courts. T.J. Bement, District Court Administrator for the 10th Judicial District in Athens, Georgia. And Liz Rambo, Trial Court Administrator for the Lane County Circuit Court in Eugene, Oregon. Thank you all for joining today's video podcast. Let me turn it over to Alice for the first question. Thank you, Peter. Since the start of the pandemic and with all the protests last year, how have you been communicating with staff and with your justice partners? How has it worked out? TJ? Thanks, Alex. And it's good to see you again as well. I can say starting last spring, much like everything, we went virtual. When we went into the initial lockdown, everyone was sent home, judges, court staff, uh, everybody. And really, we had to move to a a virtual communication environment. One example is, um, you know, working with my accountability courts. That was my drug courts and mental health courts in one of my counties. We decided very quickly to do a weekly virtual meeting. Every Wednesday morning for about 45 minutes, we got together. And one, it was just a way to keep in touch with one another and, and have eyes on one another. But more importantly, it was an opportunity to just share information. Last spring for those first few months, as I'm sure everybody had, everything was new. It was, are we open? Are we closed? You know, what's the latest CDC guidance? What is, you know, what is the state telling us? What is our our state judiciary telling us? So that was a great opportunity to just share information as it came available face-to-face once a week. And then over the last year, uh, we've continued to have lots of virtual meetings uh, with staff because we're trying to not put too many people in one room at a time. So it's really just been key to to keep regular contact with people, albeit virtually. Okay, thank you, TJ. Rick, how have you been communicating with the courts in Pennsylvania? Well, Alice, uh, thank you for having me on today. I will say that first start out by saying how we do respond and then maybe how we should be communicating or how we'd like to communicate. We have been communicating through blast email announcements since uh, last March, since the beginning of the pandemic and holding occasional virtual meetings with the district court administrators and their deputy administrators across the Commonwealth. 
I will say that predominantly our communication has come from our state court administrator. And at the, at the onset of the pandemic in mid-March of 2020, we had emails that would come out daily from the state court administrator to the president judges and the district court administrators focusing on uh, the legal ramifications, the emergency orders, as well as operational issues and, and challenges that they're each facing. So that was really the content of the messages. However, the content that was missing that I think would have been a good follow-up is that on dealing with the individuals on a personal basis and how they're handling the stress of it all. So what that said is that's kind of where our focus has been. We've been using these virtual trainings as a means of getting announcements out. We do employ uh, social media for, for press release announcements. So those pressers will be used, but that was something that we were using pre-COVID as well. Uh, to the success of it, I would say is a mixed bag. I think that you'll see some administrators and some court staff will say, it was satisfactory because it addressed the particular issues that they had at, at hand. And others will say they would have liked more of, of a personal touch from, from the administrative office. Okay, thank you, Rick. Uh, Liz, how about in Oregon? As a trial court administrator, we're on the uh, receiving end of the kind of communication that Rick was just talking about in terms of updates and email blasts from the state court administrator's office. And uh, so it's our job to then take that information and communicate it out to staff and local justice partners. But in Oregon, we've been doing virtual meetings with our state court administrator um, and all of the trial court administrators every week uh, since this started. So that's been really great in terms of uh, maintaining some sort of personal face and personal contact with people that we used to at least meet with four times a year in person. And also helping us focus in on what we needed to communicate out to our local justice partners and to our staff. And of course, I've been using all the methods that uh, both Rick and TJ talked about. Initially, we didn't have the equipment to do virtual meetings for staff because we stayed open with the social distancing. So we didn't put all the staff on remote work. We put some of the staff on remote work. So we had this odd mix of people who could join remote, remote meetings via webcam and people who couldn't. And um, so we just kept trucking along and doing a lot of telephone meetings and then slowly um, evolved to more remote meetings, making sure that everybody had a webcam on their desktop at work so they could participate fully in remote meetings and just getting equipment out. And um, in terms of our justice partners, we have uh, every two weeks meeting with our local public safety coordinating council who's in need of communication from us regularly that are uh, COVID specific meetings. And then also we do regular communication with our bar president and she has the authority to blast out to her listserv. And we put updates on our website every time we update our operations plan, which is pretty much monthly since the outset. Um, and the operations plan has every type of proceeding, how it's being heard, when it's being heard and everything. So every time we make an update, we send that out to everybody. <laughs> so we're just doing the best we can. All right, thanks, Liz. Zanel? Hi, thank you, Alice, for having me. When I got the question, I was thinking about how many ways have we communicated? We've done phone, we've done Zoom, we've done email, press releases, webinars, articles, administrative orders, meetings, and old-fashioned mail as well. So we've done them all. It depends on who we're trying to communicate, how timely the information has to go out. 
What is the follow-up communication that's needed with the bar associations? Definitely, if we send a press release out, they want a webinar after that. We've had to do interviews with our local news channels. So we've used probably every method of communication possible. And some have been more effective than others. But we've definitely been in there trying to communicate, keep everybody abreast of things are, as things are happening. So as you all were talking, I just have a comment to share. I visited our court website. I'm semi-retired, so I'm not in the loop as much as I was when I was fully working. But I wonder, how do you manage your website content in a way that visitors to the website don't have to look at, for example, 10 emergency orders out there? Do you update your order and so they're just going to one order or do they have to digest and figure out, okay, where's the lay of the land on this topic by going through different orders? Well, I'll start. We try to make sure it's one order, but we noticed that we had a different order maybe in our family division than, than we had in our criminal division. So we tried to make sure that we placed the pertinent orders under that area of the website for that particular division. But if we could do it globally, we would do it globally, but things were changing at different paces in the various divisions. Anyone else want to share? Yeah, we, we did it a little different in our state. While we have the authority to, to do it on our local county or, or court websites, we were sort of preempted by our Supreme Court and the direction we got from our Chief Justice, which in our emergency orders starting last spring have required us to file operating orders with our state administrative office of the court. So they, they put up a special website on our Georgia courts page that is listed by county and then by court. So we have to have filed with them whatever the latest version of our operating guidelines. And we have them both for operating, for normal operations, and then a second subset just for jury trials. And whatever the latest version of either of those has to be submitted and then they just keep up the current one. So that's been really great for, for stakeholders and members of the public and, and lawyers and whatnot they don't have to go searching 159 different counties to find out what's going on. They can go to one website at the state, which is unique for us in our state, um, but they can go to one place and, and find out what those operating orders are across the state. Okay, thank you, TJ. What has been the most challenging aspect of communicating during the pandemic and the protests? So now? Oftentimes it may have been with the social unrest was crafting what message. Where did it need to go? How did you want to you know, relay that, and then making sure it's timely delivered. All right, Rick? Well, I think Zanel hit the nail on the head there. I will go our experiences over the last 12 months and just say the lack of in-person communication has been the most challenging aspect. We miss all the nonverbal cues when we're reliant on, and even in a video format in, in, in a virtual platform, you still miss some of those nonverbal cues. I'm on the phone constantly all day, and yet I still don't have that in-person communication. I may speak with an administrator or a judge one-on-one, -on -one, but we don't do that any longer in a group setting unless we use a virtual platform as we are today. And I think the court administrators in Pennsylvania are getting more comfortable with the technology, but it varies, uh, you know, depending upon how often they're using it. We have court administrators been working remotely and, and they have had learned at an accelerated pace in comparison to some of their colleagues who've been uh, not working remotely. They've been in their offices since day one of the pandemic, and they're very unfamiliar with 
the virtual platforms and the communication styles and modes that are out there. So knowing how one prefers to have received their communication and then how one reacts to that form of communication is absolutely essential. So luckily for me, I, I feel that I have a strong connection with many of the administrators and judges across the Commonwealth. And, and that has helped me as far as the, the individual communication, but that does not do much when it comes to uh, communicating one to many, because we just do not have that opportunity to do that, at least in an in-person setting. One of the most difficult tasks in communication is receiving candid feedback. How have you been obtaining employee feedback with so many employees teleworking? And how's it been working? TJ? Well, as the saying goes, the struggle is real. And indeed it has. So I can say, generally speaking, in, in our courts that I've worked with here in our state, we weren't ready for a mass movement of staff to a virtual environment um, and working from home. That did take a while, especially in a lot of our clerk's offices, to stand up the, the laptops and the connectivity and whatnot for staff to work from home. I can say that the, the best solution that we've had to the whole feedback issue is communication and rather over-communication. And it's really taken a lot of our, our judges and supervisory staff sort of out of their, their comfort zone. Because normally when those issues of feedback and issues of work product or efficiency or whatever, they're addressed when they're in the workplace. And we can have that sit down, it's face to face, it's across the desk, whatever, we can have that, that open communication. When they're at home and we're at home too, we're now moving to calling each other on, often on our personal cell phones and sending text messages, things that weren't a norm for some of our supervisors and their employees. And that work-life balance really got blurred for a lot of individuals. And especially for a lot of, and I have to say, for a lot of our staff uh, across the state that had young children at home and, and that struggle of moving to that online environment for one, two, three, multiple children at home or a special needs individual at home, having to work with them and also trying to work during the day while being remote. And, and it's really just come down to over-communicating and one suggestion that I've always given everybody is every conversation should start with how are you doing and how is everybody in your family? So start out on that personal note, because right now we're missing that human connection and have been for the last year. And everybody's life is different week to week. Somebody in their family is ill or somebody's gotten quarantined or somebody's gotten exposed or they haven't seen their, their parent who's in a nursing home. So just doing that check-in allows that opportunity for that human connection, then we can go into the feedback. And one thing I've noticed on a personal level, and I hate to say this, but sometimes being in the office, we lose time to socialization. Just going to call it what it is. We do. We interact with people. We talk with people in the hallway. We catch up with one another. And when you're working from home, that distraction or that interaction isn't there. And so th there's that expectation, do we need to be more productive at home than we were at the workplace because we don't have that distraction? So I think one of the things we recognize as, as supervisors is the work product needs to be consistent to what it was before. We don't necessarily need to change expectations and we need to give some breathing room, especially for individuals who are having to deal with you know, children at home or online learning or whatnot to give them some flexibility. Because often if you give them that flexibility, 
they're going to make up for it in the work product ultimately in the end. So it, it's over communication and trying to, to keep that, that human connection and that feedback process. Liz? Well, I really wanted to follow up on something that TJ said about socialization, because I think part of getting candid feedback is about having really good relationships with people. And without that socialization, without that water cooler time, we really have lost it. And so what we've done is we've actually added water cooler time to our remote meetings. We add five to 10 minutes where we just shoot the breeze. What's new with you? What's going on in your life? Are you okay? How's your family? And people want to have that connection. And that's particularly in the smaller team meetings where people had connection with each other prior to COVID, especially. That's been really beneficial just in terms of maintaining relationships that are necessary for good feedback. I have to admit, most of the feedback that I rely on comes in the form of questions. Um, rather than constructive feedback, what I see is, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And that's when I know that I can do a better job of communicating because I haven't either been clear or given enough information or what, what have you. So I'm really looking for those questions and making opportunities available for them, whether I'm doing a remote meeting or sending an email or having a telephone call with somebody, always just sort of saying, hey, is there anything you need to follow up on or is there any questions that you have and, and giving that opportunity for that kind of request. As we seem to have turned a corner with the pandemic, have you eased up on communicating with staff and justice partners? TJ? A little bit. I think now that we've gotten to a new norm communicating with staff, I think that's good. So whether it's through these regular uh, Zoom meetings or virtual meetings or sort of impromptu conversations, that's good. I think what has really now resumed probably in the last six months is really reconnecting again with all our justice partners because we were so focused on ourselves and what we had to do to just stay open in those first six months or so of last year that I think it was really probably about August that we started reconnecting with our other sort of criminal justice partners and reestablishing those community meetings that we had shut down for the longest time, albeit most of them are still virtual or in rather small gatherings, but we started those back up. And I think that's been really helpful to reconnect us again to the community. Thank you. Rick? Well, Alice, I would say the amount of information is eased, uh, particularly the information addressing the emergency orders from the Supreme Court, as well as the individual district court orders. But there, there's still some of that, that we still have some communication coming from the state court administrator on that issue. As I noted earlier, we've begun to use training, uh, virtual training uh, webinars and meetings to educate and also inform the administrators and using that communication mode as well. But at this point, we appear to be in a holding pattern, which is to say we're nearing the end of the pandemic, nearing the end of the emergency, and we're ready to begin the full reconstitution. But not every district court in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is at the same level or at the same stage of readiness uh, as it was at where the pandemic hit hardest was in the southeastern part of the state surrounding Philadelphia. And later on, that was initially along the eastern seaboard. A lot of when New York had their issues last April, so did Philadelphia at that particular time. And then the western part of the state seemed to get hit in the latter stages of 2020. So there was a delay effect there. On, and there's also the delay effect on how it impacted communication and impact upon the court's operations, even though all of the courts were operating under emergency orders. 
So we're attempting this time to use, now that we're in this holding pattern, to educate court staff and doing a tr training on a cadre of issues. But we also know that reconstitution, when it commences, is going to take an enormous amount of time for the court staff that they're not going to have. Many of them are not available now as it is because they've been operating either on a skeletal uh, staff or they've been operating at full staff, but that means they're operating in full capacity and don't have the time to participate and receive this information from us. So kind of a mixed bag on how we're addressing our justice partners and particularly our courts. Thank you. So now? When we first started out in the pandemic, I remember it was like, oh, we need a meeting. Let's do one this afternoon. Oh, we need another meeting. Let's set another one. And then we moved to where, why don't we have some standing meetings? Right now, we still have those standing meetings on our calendars, but most often they'll go a lot quicker or we'll say, oh, we don't need one this week. As far as our justice partners, we have sort of shifted to some of the topics that we're talking about. Before it was about the pandemic and what to do as far as the safety protocols. Now it's talking about how do we handle our backlogs? So the frequency and probably the topics have changed since we're at the point where we are now. Great, thank you. Liz? Yeah, I completely agree with Sanel. I think that um, we're in this sort of new normal phase where everyone is in on autopilot, but they understand what's required. They understand how we're operating. So we have eased back to a certain extent. Although in Oregon, the, the situation changes based on the risk factor for the county. So we have had to make some changes recently issued a new operating order, but we have backed up on COVID information. What that has done is provide opportunities to refocus on some of our real work. So we're starting to dive back into putting together process improvement teams and some of that stuff just happening remotely. So the nature of the communication is changing while we're in this new normal phase, for sure. All right, thank you, Liz. And I just wanna add a comment. One of the things I've heard from a few folks, even in a training environment, is that there is this thing about Zoom burnout and meeting burnout. And I think that's something that court administrators always have to keep in mind is what's a nice balance? How do we achieve a nice balance in terms of making sure people know what they need to know, making sure we're con continuing education as necessary, but yet recognizing there is a thing as, such as computer slash Zoom burnout. But thank you. Those are all great responses. What advice do you have for other court administrators around the country on effective communication? Zanel? Definitely you want to communicate often. You want to make sure your message is as transparent as possible, and you want to invite feedback. All right. Uh, Rick? Well, I would say first thing is use the communication form your audience prefers to receive, uh, not what's easiest for you. To me, that's leading. So I, I would start off by saying uh, the since we've lost and hopefully we'll resume a lot of in-person communication, that heaven forbid we have to resort to exclusively electronic communication because you lose all those nonverbal cues. And I think it's really critical to communicate just as Zanel and, and TJ have said earlier, that communicate more often, much more often than, than you would normally. I think good managers always document their, their communication, their message and the mode that it was uh, that they used. But I think also good leaders 
do the next step, which is to connect. In order to have effective communication, you have to establish a relationship with those people that you're trying to communicate with. And sometimes that's very difficult because you're communicating maybe to a lot of people that, that you have a very little familiarity with. But those that you do, you have to establish a level of trust and connection with those folks. Because when, you, when the time comes, and the way you do that to start, I think, is some of the things that Liz and TJ have said is have that water cooler talk, have that social time. Because you have to put that time in. When you go to have the difficult conversations, if you don't have a, established a level of trust by starting it off with the softball type of conversations, which are you know, the water cooler talk, you're not gonna get very far with the difficult conversations. And really to me, effective communication is about connecting with the other individual. Great, thank you, Rick. TJ? I'd say it just comes down to be genuine. You, you gotta speak from your heart, especially in tough times and find a way to, to communicate openly and honestly with staff and with colleagues and, and partners and just be genuine. I mean, this last year I think has been an opportunity for us to just share a lot more love with one another and just do check-ins. And I think, you know, just try to be genuine um, in, in all that we do and how we communicate. Thank you, Liz. My advice for other court administrators around the country would be to listen to Zanelle, Rick, and TJ and try to incorporate what they're talking about into what you do every day like I do. But my expertise is around failure. And so my advice would be when you fail, own it, honestly pick up the ball and just keep trying. That's great advice, Liz. Well said. I have some experience with that too. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank Zanelle Brown, Rick Pierce, TJ Bement, and Liz Rambo for their thoughts about effective communication and court administration. This is a timeless topic and we can all learn from their experiences. My thanks also to my excellent co-host, Alice Roberts, for her perceptive questions. My thanks finally to you court professionals watching today's episode. You are the face of the court system to the community. Thank you for conveying competence and skill. Our panel has a lot more to say about communication and you don't wanna miss out on the conversation. Join us next Tuesday when we continue our discussion with our panel. In the meantime, we'd like to hear from you. You've heard what our panel has to say. Now we'd like to have you email us and tell us what you think is the key to effective communication, particularly during the pandemic. Our email address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakemdet.org. We'll include some of your responses in next Tuesday's episode. I look forward to hearing from you. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for watching. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leaders Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on YouTube, on Facebook, on iTunes, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakemnet.org. Did you hear an interesting comment by one of the panelists that you'd like to listen to again, but you don't want to search the entire episode to find it? 
The Additional Resources section on the web page contains a question time marker sheet. Just find the discussion question on the sheet, and next to it is the time that question was asked. You can then quickly fast forward to that time in the episode and listen to the panelists' comments. Remember, if you don't have time to watch an episode, you can always listen to the audio version. Listen in your car or on the bus on your way to and from work. You never have to miss an episode. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, thanks for watching. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management. Thank you.